Thanks for joining us today on the nateholdridge.com podcast. Today, we're taking a look at one of Pastor Nate's articles called Jesus Talks Marriage. And what we're doing basically is having a conversation that springboards from some words that, that Jesus himself said in the book of Matthew that really affirm what God's original design for marriage is. So we're going to look at what Jesus says, expand on that a little bit, see how that applies to our lives and to our marriages as Jesus followers. So let's jump right into it. I'm really looking forward to talking about this article with you, Nate, because I know for me personally, this has been a really impactful article. Um, just talking about marriage, you know, I, I look at culture, I look at media, I look at the things that I receive information from, and there's just a lot of confusion about marriage. There's redefinitions of marriage, there's questions about the validity of if marriage is even a good option for uh, relationships. And I thought that, you know, as opposed to looking at just what culture says and the world and media and things like that, I thought that we could look at what marriage is according to God's word and kind of start from there with this conversation. So before we even get into the article that you wrote, Nate, could you just give us a working definition of what marriage is? Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you asked that first because it really aligns with a kind of a theme that's been in my heart probably for the last six months or so just personally and thinking mm -hmm. about this subject in my own marriage right. to Christina. Yeah. Because, you know, if you go all the way back to Genesis, what you discover is that God made Adam mm -hmm. and then he named the animals and then he discovered he was alone and God said it is not good that man should be mm -hmm. alone so I'll make him a helper a helper comparable to him so the idea wasn't that Eve would come alongside to be beneath Adam right. or to be superior to Adam but to be next to Adam and that they would that. have a beautiful level of togetherness that could not be experienced elsewhere mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've been thinking a lot about that concept and concepts like that because, um, I don't know, I think over the last six months or so, um, the Lord's really been just putting in my heart a desire to get better as a mm. husband and to grow yeah. as a husband. And I think for me, a big part of that is um, the closeness, the oneness, yeah. the um, togetherness, the companionship that God has designed marriage for. I want to grow, you know, in that. And, yeah. you know, by God's grace, Christina and I have had a ton of that up to this point, but we're in a different season of life when we're getting older and, you know, our children are getting older and I'm just longing for that to even increase as the years wow. go by. Yeah. So if you were to put, you know, one word on it, you'd use the word companionship mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. Uh, as far as a purpose of God, you know, in, in marriage, there are other purposes. I think we've talked about at, 
in on even on this podcast you know right godly offspring yeah, totally. uh, sanctification and growth you know it's a lot of times in marriage that you discover yourself a little bit more accurately <laughs> true, yeah. and in facing yourself you mm-hmm. begin seeing the areas that god wants to grow you and shape you um, a lot of times in marriage, God is trying to build you up for further fruitfulness in life. So there's a lot of other reasons that God created marriage. But if you go all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis 2, it was the cure for aloneness mm-hmm. that, you know, in general, and obviously there are going to be people that are called to a life of singleness or who choose a life mm-hmm. of singleness right. or a life of singleness chooses them. Uh, and there can be a you know, they can have a full companionship with Christ and with other believers, with friends and family. There can be a lot of that lack of aloneness in an unmarried state. Right. But at least there in Genesis, when God looked upon Adam, he decided to to uh, heal, I guess you could say, or cure mm. his aloneness through his bride. Yeah, that's beautiful. How long have you guys been married now, you and Christina? Yeah, so we're coming up on uh, 16 years. 16 years, yeah. and you're still learning stuff. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm a year and a half into my marriage with Chesley, and I'm like, there's so much to learn. But maybe in 16 years, we'll be like, cool, you know, we'll have it all dialed in. But Yeah, well, so much of the learning, you know, about it has to do with the fact that I'm not the same and she's not the same hmm. as the day that we got married. So we're still changing as people so kind of that moment of getting to know her and for her to get to know me it really never ends which is exciting that's right yeah because we're always changing Hmm. you know she's not who she was when we were in our mid-20s you know and and i'm not who i was in in my mid-20s you know so we're we're just different people and so you're you're growing in that yeah that is so cool when your article you talk a lot about learning and things that uh, a married man specifically um, can learn through marriage and implement in his marriage. And, uh, you know, Nate, as we're talking, I'd love for us to obviously address the men who are listening to this, but I'd love for us to have moments where we talk specifically to women. So I think this applies to both, which is really cool about this. But uh, we're talking about uh, what Jesus kind of identifies as marriage, but God is all about for marriage. Mm-hmm. And so there are a few things that you that you kind of pulled out specifically uh, that a man can implement in his marriage. And the first thing was soft-heartedness. I thought it was cool that you put this as the first item in your essay, but would you mind kind of just expounding on what that means for you personally and just kind of writing this and uh, why is that important for a man to be soft-hearted yeah so like you alluded to everything that i tried to write about in this little piece was based off of jesus's teaching in matthew chapter 19 right and in that passage the pharisees were trying to trap him in some theological disputes as usual as usual (laughs) and um, they just never learned those pharisees but um the big dispute that they were trying to get him into was a dispute on the lawfulness of divorce right and yeah. the prevalent idea at that time uh, there were two main camps 
one was basically very strict about divorce. Uh, it, there weren't many reasons, if ever, that it was allowed. And then mm -hmm. there were others that were very lenient with divorce, uh, lenient for the men, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, so one of their big questions was, hey, you know, Moses, he um, gave the people of Israel this thing called a certificate of divorce. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it seems like Moses was endorsing the idea of divorce with that certificate. And what Jesus explained to them was that well, what he said was it was because of the hardness of your right. heart that yeah. Moses gave that. So for the nation of Israel, there had to be controls on the insanity of their sin, yeah. you know, because they would just go buck wild. So instead of just having this crazy culture where mm -hmm. everybody was cheating on everybody and people were, it was like de facto divorces that yeah, were happening, right. mm -hmm. Moses saw the hardness of the hearts of the people of Israel and Moses gave them a certificate of divorce, you know, and even then there were pretty strict um, rules attached to that for the mm -hmm. people of Israel. They then made those rules very loose and, you know, had a lot of them adopted a real no-fault divorce kind right. of concept. Yeah. So anyways, you know, in drawing all of that out, I just find it interesting that the first thing that Jesus mentioned there in his response to them was, it's because there was a hard-heartedness. Yeah. So that tells us that if the opposite is happening inside of a marriage, then there's a lot more safety. You know, that's a good place yeah. for a marriage to be. Safety not not hard-hearted towards each other, but soft-hearted toward each other. And it's so fascinating how it often works in marriage, you know, where two people come together and, you know, if we're really honest about it, those early stages of you know, attraction and then uh, dating and then even marriage. A lot of those early stages, we will use the word love, mm -hmm. but a lot of times it is infatuation yeah. and attraction. And it's interesting how you can take two people who had this interest and infatuation and this desire and this attraction toward each other. You put them together in the same house, mm -hmm. under the same roof, yep. sharing the same money, eating the same meals, sharing the same bed, and we might want to romanticize it and yeah. say to ourselves that that's just going to lead to just bliss and joy and all of that, but the reality is you're taking two sinful people and you're putting them together. And so a lot of times what can happen is the two people can slowly begin to despise each other. Yeah. And your spouse begins to become your enemy and vice versa. And what begins to be developed is a hard-heartedness. Yeah. So you have to really, I think, in marriage, be on constant heart patrol. Yeah. You know, making sure that your heart is not closing off in any area to mm. your spouse. You know, when Christina walks in the room, you know, and... Um, it, you know, well, I'll back up and say one of the beautiful things about marriage for me has been that I brought into our relationship and I brought into our marriage and our family, I brought in 
a lot of inherited and cultivated just self-sufficiency right you know and this almost like a subconscious like i'm going to protect myself by not needing anybody kind Mm -hmm. of attitude oh yeah so then in comes christina wanting to you know help and know me and be together and her mere presence is an attack on that self-sufficiency mm-hmm. that's there in my own heart where god is calling me into community with her right. and is sharing my heart with her mm-hmm. so you know there'll be plenty of times where she walks in the room and i'm just like you know caught up in an article or yeah. a book or you know some thought that i'm having i got my little <laughs> plan of how yeah. like these next 20 minutes are gonna go <laughs> and she walks in and she's like a disruptor to that mm. and you know, early on in the infatuation period, that disruption is just always welcomed. Right, right, right. But, you know, as time goes on in life and marriage, you could be tempted to become frustrated with that mm. instead of realizing that the problem is not there with your spouse. The problem is inside your own heart. Yeah, You're yeah. allowing this right. little, maybe very small and subtle wall to be built that Christ has paid the price to knock down so that you and your spouse mm. could be... You know, the, the phrase in Genesis is naked and unashamed. And I think that yeah. it's talking about something, the physical nakedness is supposed to illustrate a spiritual and emotional nakedness that you have mm-hmm. with each other, where there's yeah. just a lack of shame there and you're just sharing your whole self with the other person. So I just don't know how to do that unless you have a soft heart towards each other. Right. You know, once you yeah. start closing off and hardening and building walls to your spouse, it's 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 a you know, certain doom is coming unless you can yeah, allow the Lord to reverse that trend in your heart. Wow. That's a good word too. I think that that soft heartedness really um I'm glad you put it first in your article cuz I think that that thought and that idea, that perspective of bringing that into your marriage, that soft heartedness really does, it kind of like colors the rest of these different things that you mentioned in the article. So, man, thanks for kind of expounding on that. I actually just like totally resonate with a lot of that and uh, just receive that. It's super good. One of the things that you talk about in the article is about creating your own circle. And um, it's just like this idea of like, it's, you and your wife or you and your spouse what what were you kind of getting at with that were you are you kind of talking about like protecting others from getting into that or kind of talking about just cultivating that a bit um what what is it what or i guess maybe the question is what is the circle what does it contain and what does it not contain what are you what are you protecting in that circle yeah so jesus quoted from genesis 2 in the matthew 19 passage when he then talked about a man leaving his father and mother and being joined to his wife and the two becoming one flesh. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about uh, creating a new circle, I'm not borrowing from any movies or anything like that. (laughs) I'm borrowing from Jesus, who's talking about becoming one flesh. Yeah, that's good. And that we have this, you have this new, you know, circle that is being built. And I know I recently wrote, and I think we might have even talked about, I can't remember if we podcasted about it or not, but about how your children 
are not part of that one fleshness for a right. husband and wife. You know, yeah. it's, it's just you. You have a different relationship with your children mm-hmm. that is secondary, not primary to your marriage relationship. So I think what I was trying to write about in the article that we're talking about today was just more of the immaturity that can sometimes creep into a marriage when we don't respect the hmm. one fleshiness or the new circle that we have you know, right. together. Yeah. I'll just read what I wrote. I said, a boy will complain to his mother about his marriage, but a man will protect his inner circle. A boy will complain about his wife to his father, but a man will guard her reputation. Come on. Certainly there are seasons in a marriage where it's good to invite others in for godly counsel and encouragement. Often the best way for this to occur is through mutual agreement with your spouse about who to talk to and invite in for help, but guard your inner circle. Mm-hmm. So I think men and women are both can both be guilty of that kind of thing that I was talking about, right. you know, of mm-hmm. a real disrespectful, slanderous complaining heart to other people that we're close with about our spouse. And you have to realize that what you're doing and what you're communicating in that moment is you are saying to your spouse, I actually have a stronger one flesh. It's with my friend or it's with my dad or it's with my mom. And it's stronger than what I have with you Hmm. or it's with one of our kids you know, and it's stronger than what I have with you. And, and that just breaks down trust, you know, so much. Yeah. So, you know, realizing that, um, you know, your spouse should know more about you than anybody else on earth. Yeah. And that when you are sharing things about yourself, you know, your dreams, desires, you know, fears, whatever, as you're sharing those things with someone else, you should be asking yourself the question, have I shared this with my spouse? Hmm. Am I willing to share this with my spouse? Yeah. Uh, frankly, a lot of times this is how adultery begins mm-hmm. is with that emotional connection that someone allows to happen with someone outside of that circle. Right. You know, well, she listens to me or he affirms me, mm. you know, and as we are talking, it's like this exciting spark because it feels like we're letting who we are inside be known and but but the reality is is there's the the true one fleshness is found you know with our with our spouse so um that's good i think you know in a sense all i was trying to say was you know the old king james way of saying it is <laughs> leave and cleave yeah you know? right just like right Get out of your parents' yeah. house and go be with your spouse, you know? Separate that yourself. Ryan, get out of your parents' house and be with your spouse. Boom. I like there that. There we go. Hashtag. Podcast title. <laughs> That's super good. I, I love that. Just like the idea of entering into that circle with your spouse, protecting it. And I don't think you're dismissing like a, like counsel from like a pastor into your marriage or anything like that, but you're really just talking about like don't let anybody else get into that loving relationship between you and your spouse protect that keep that between you two mm-hmm. that's really good for there's another part that um really spoke to me about this article and it was about um knowing your roles i think it's the second thing that you wrote in the article which is I, i'd love to talk about this for a second because i think that it's easy sometimes in our culture to view a husband and a wife 
two spouses and associate maybe like a a cultural mm-hmm. kind of like construct or like be like I can kind of define what that role looks mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. rather than embracing the God-given responsibilities that we have from scripture. So can you kind of talk to us about that? Like what is like a biblical uh, role for husbands? And then I'm sure that'll bleed into like, what is the biblical role for wives? But can you start with husbands? Yes. So you mentioned, you know, the temptation to look to culture and to make your definitions, you know, and that that could be a temptation. The reality is it's not even a temptation. It's just what we do. It just happens. It just happens. Yeah. If you do not concentrate on allowing the spirit of God to speak Mm -hmm. into this particular area, you're going to bring some kind of construct into your Mm -hmm. marriage of what you think the roles are supposed to be, you know, in that marriage. One of the things that I'm so thankful for that I really, I probably just kind of thought it was funny as we were, as we were working through this when we were engaged, but I remember Christina and I in our premarital counseling program, uh, after, you know, going through all these different weeks and chapters and discussion points and everything like that, we had this two page worksheet that had just it felt like the most mundane it was like a checklist (laughs) of just millions of things it felt like of you know budgeting responsibilities oh yeah and cooking and car maintenance Mm -hmm. and vacuuming it just had all these different things listed out Mm -hmm. and then we each had to go separately and write down what our expectation was of whose job that right. was yeah. inside of our home and family. <laughs> and look, I know that the easy answer is to say, oh, we're just going to share it all. But the reality is you're not. <laughs> you know, yeah, It's really it's good true. to hear what those expectations might be. And I think mm-hmm. another great thing to do is to realize, because it isn't actually so much that it's culture that you get the ideas mm-hmm. from. We might think that. We might think that, you know, well, what I do is I just, you know, I'm so in tune with what's happening right. culturally uh-huh. and I'm very progressive, you know, and stuff like that. But the reality is you're probably, if you don't concentrate on it and let the spirit of God come into this, you're going to do things exactly like your parents yeah, or happens in your you're home. going to do mm-hmm. things completely opposite to your parents because you right. are rebelling against it. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is really kind of first of all, think through what did I kind of inherit from Mm -hmm. them? Right. And how were they doing things and how did they operate and what might I be carrying into this Mm -hmm. even unknowingly? Yeah. So think about that, have conversations about that, you know, with your spouse. And then I think it's at that point that you can then prayerfully go to the Bible and -hmm. begin to ask, what expectations and opinions do I have about roles in our marriage? What, which ones do I have that are good and biblical? And which ones do I have that are just inherited that I've maybe even called biblical, but aren't, Mm -hmm. they just happen to be done by people that I knew that were Christians Mm -hmm. maybe, but that doesn't necessarily make them, you know, a requirement biblically or anything like that. Yeah. So I think when you really boil it down though, you know, you look at passages like Ephesians 5, and what you discover is that, in general, the husband is supposed to have a leadership kind of role within mm-hmm. his home. 
Now, obviously, it's not to be a domineering kind of leadership because Christ is always held out as the example mm, yeah. for the husband. And so his leadership was very gentle, right. very loving, very compassionate, um, always lowering himself to the disciples, to the church, hearing them, you know, talking with them, teaching them, guiding them along slowly, and then ultimately sacrificing himself in his own will and desires for the betterment of others. That's mm -hmm. what love is, is the giving of yourself. So, you know, that's the kind of leadership that a husband is yeah. supposed to have. But he is supposed to have a level of leadership within mm -hmm. his home. Now, that doesn't mean that when it comes to, say, establishing the family budget, that the husband sits down by himself with his calculator and all the pay stubs for him, for him and his wife, looks at the bank account and writes it all out and comes out and says, here is our budget mm -hmm. and there's no room for dialogue. Right. There's no room for you know back and forth or debate. That's not what that means. Yeah, a good leadership. leader would say, you know, we're a team together. Yeah. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear where you're at. But at the end of the day, someone is going to have to make a decision and be held responsible and accountable for those right. decisions. And so that's where the husband, you know, is at. And, uh, you know, that might sound like a place of uh, privilege, but it's a place of great responsibility. Mm -hmm. So right. any husband who's doing it right has a little bit of a fear or reverence right. for the authority that God has given to him mm -hmm. as the head of his household, the head of his family. Yeah. And then the wife is to, you know, according to Ephesians 5 and other passages, is to be the one to follow her mm -hmm. husband's lead, to be respectfully supportive of her husband. And there will mm -hmm. be plenty of times where your wife, you know, disagrees yeah. probably mm -hmm. with you and the decision that you've made, but is saying, you know, I'm going to come under that. I'm going to follow this. And I think yeah. that this will be better than if I just constantly fought this and chafed, you know, against this, mm. um, you know, man and his authority and all of that, because she then graciously has this attitude of understanding that that position of leadership is difficult. That position mm. of leadership is hard, and you're a fallible person, so there's no way that you're going to make the right decision every single time. I just yeah. know that the right attitude for me in this moment is to come along, and even if this whole thing falls apart, to be you know loving <laughs> yeah. and kind and supportive, mm. and hopefully in a good marriage, there's enough room for dialogue and yeah, learning, absolutely. and hey, let's not make that mistake again, yeah. you know, kind of thing. That's awesome. I, I love just like the idea of elevating this like teamwork kind of aspect of marriage and really putting love and grace and like forgiveness in there, but then giving responsibility to the man to initiate and to lead and responsibility to the woman to, um, to follow and submit just like in a beautiful harmony, not against each other, but really in harmony. I think that's just so beautiful really thankful for the way that God's made that. Okay, let's talk about oneness for a second. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up hearing a lot of different people talk about oneness and looking to Genesis and when it talks about becoming one flesh, um, it was really held out that that term was just referring solely to sex between a man and a woman in a marriage. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, that, that moment that a man or a woman has sex with each other, 
that they are now one flesh. Mm-hmm. In your article, you talk about um, like living a life that is becoming more one together. And you do talk about love between a man and wife, um, about sex and everything. But like, maybe you can help me answer this. Like, when is the moment of mm-hmm. oneness? Is it is it a moment? Is it like when you're standing at your wedding day with your future spouse and you say, I do? Is it when you have sex for the first time with somebody? Is it a process? Like, what what is oneness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. I don't know that we can accurately say when that magical exact moment you know occurs part Mm -hmm. of the reason that you heard that growing up is because the genesis 2 passage where he talks about the two becoming one flesh it's quoted quite often in the new testament Mm -hmm. and one of the places that it is quoted directly uh, has to do with the act of sex Mm -hmm. and it but it doesn't have anything to do with marital sex it has to do with illicit fornication Mm. and actually talking about going into a prostitute and and he talks Mm. and then paul quotes and don't you know the two become one flesh right so what he seems to be saying what he's not saying is now you're married to the prostitute right right but what he is saying is that in the sex act there is something very powerful Mm -hmm. and spiritual and unseen that is happening in that moment. He actually talks in that same passage about how when you sin in that way, every other sin is outside of yourself, but that sin is there's something happening within internally. So the sex act is definitely a massive part of it for Mm -hmm. the good and for the bad. And I've been so appreciative in the last five years or so to listen to people who um, have been able to explain how the act of sex within marriage actually uh, is very useful to fusing Mm. a married couple together, that it's like a glue that binds them together. And that even when they're kind of at odds with each other, that one of the ways, one of the paths to get back on track actually is through enjoying each other sexually. Right. So, you know, that's that's a way to cultivate, you know, one fleshiness. Mm -hmm. But I also think, you know, you're asking the question, when does that magical moment happen? I think when you're standing before God and witnesses, obviously there's no no physical act that's taking place right Right. there in that moment. That'd be inappropriate. But (laughs) what is happening is you are with your mouth and with your heart and with your pen and your signature Mm -hmm. before God and witnesses and your own government, you're making a covenant and saying, I am covenanting myself to this woman or to this man. That's what I'm doing. That's the decision that I'm making. And I think if you're looking for an official moment, it's in that moment Hmm. of covenant that the two become one flesh in that kind of way. And then obviously there's a consummation of that covenant through the act of sex together. Hmm. So, yeah, but it's interesting (laughs) if that's what you're thinking about one fleshiness, you're reading my thing and I'm talking about cultivating one fleshiness (laughs) and you're probably like, wow, that's the advice he's giving. And that is advice (laughs) that I would give, you know, that we are to enjoy in marriage, we're to enjoy each other physically. And, you know, we we talk about um, being soft hearted to each other, being you know, one together, being one flesh with each other. 
And the reality is if you can talk about that area of your life and you can mm-hmm. talk about how, you know, I, I liked that. I didn't like that. Or here's my background in history and right. here's some sins I've committed. Like if you're able to talk about all that stuff and continue that dialogue, that's great. That, yeah. that, that, um, you know, is a great indicator of the kind of health that you're going to probably have in all different right. other areas of your marriage. Because, mm-hmm. you know, for most people that can be one of the more sensitive, uncomfortable yeah. categories to be talking about. Yeah. That's good. And even in your statement, you talked about that word covenant, which is interesting, I think, in our Christian faith that we really do view marriage as a covenant. It's not a contract. It's not really to be broken. Um, why did God make marriage a covenant? Mm. Why, why isn't it just like a contract, especially when we see divorce happening all the time and everything? Like, what's the significance of a covenant? Yeah, well, contracts would just be broken all the time. Yeah. And contracts have within them a very anti-Christian theme of self-pursuit. Mm, yeah. Because you're thinking about, here's if you do these things, then I will do these things. Right. And here's what I'm looking to get out of this relationship where covenant, like Jesus, releases the full self to mm. the other person. Yeah. And that's, you know, the way that marriage is, is supposed to work. So yeah, not a not a contract, not just something that lasts for a little while, but a covenant that we're making together. So yeah, yeah you know, I just encourage people like you're really what you're I, kind of a way that I say it a lot is I think you're wanting to find ways to cultivate your one fleshy. Yes. You know, you're trying to find ways to, you know, enjoy different stuff together, to converse with each other, to enjoy each other physically, to just really, you know, develop a oneness rather than, you know, when you or when you feel those indications like, man, I feel like we're two separate people. Right. You know, that's something that you want to be cautious about and you want to say, you know, that doesn't seem right. I want to try mm. to pursue this oneness as much as, as possible. Yeah. That's awesome. Man. So good. I just love the idea of becoming one continually over time. Like you probably say that about you and Christina, right? Like you guys are still continuing to be one and pouring into that one fleshiness kind oh, of totally and it takes yeah. so much concentration you know to really make sure that that is a priority that yeah. we are you know getting after because you know if i'm not careful i mean there's there's obviously sinful areas or ways that you could become one with somebody else right but then there's also just like everyday life you know kind mm-hmm. of things like i've always thought of the life of david i've always noticed how like you know i was actually just even reading this morning his whole family tree and you know he was a polygamist he had children with a lot of different women sons with a lot of different women but he had like his best buddy jonathan you know (laughs) and i think like probably as much as he knew these women romantically Mm -hmm. and had some you know measure of affinity or love or care for them the reality is like he probably would have looked and said, I'm way closer with Jonathan than I am mm-hmm. with any of these women. And, you know, the truth of the matter is that you can be cruising along in life. And especially if, you know, you've got two people, a husband and a wife, they're both working jobs. And especially if they have jobs that they enjoy that are careers, you know, like a pursuit, a passion that they've had in their lives. And you're working 45, 50, 60 hours a week. 
and you're pouring yourself into that and that mission. And as you're going through life, it's very easy to just all of a sudden take these good things like work and career and you start connecting with that, you know, and that's what I'm one with. Or you have children and you just very naturally can connect with that. And that's what I'm one with. Or, you know, some people will be like some kind of interest or pursuit or, you know, Mm -hmm. hobby that they're really passionate about or really into. And and that's what you become one with. And it's almost like all these other areas, you can you can give yourself to them almost without thinking. Yeah. But that is not how it'll work in your marriage. You have to actually think mm-hmm. about it and, and realize, like, yeah, I, I, this doesn't just magically happen. This is not Disney. You know, mm-hmm. I need to actually prioritize my life and my schedule and turn my right. attention toward this person, so that we can continue to develop our oneness mm-hmm. together. That's awesome. Awesome. Hey, just to kind of wrap this up, Nate, I love it if you, I don't know if you have anything on your heart that you'd like to just to share, not even from the article per se, but anything to a man or woman who is in a marriage, who is just maybe they're like listening to this right now and just feeling like I'm kind of in the grind of marriage. I'm just working through it, but it's hard. I'm not really enjoying it. Or there's like some difficulty here um without any specifics is there anything that you just like to say to that person listening right now yeah my encouragement to you is that it is painful to go internal it is painful to deal with the issues it is painful to realize where things are really at it 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 can be painful to come to a place where you say this is what's off with me with us it can be painful. So my encouragement to you is to a own your stuff, you know, instead of trying to always figure out what's wrong with your spouse, allow the Holy Spirit to look inside of your own heart and show Mm. you the areas that he's trying to grow you for the sake of the betterment of your marriage. But then secondly, B, I want to encourage you to have a vision for the end. It can be for the moment easier to say, I'm just going to neglect this. I'm not going to think about this. I'm not going to do the hard work of rolling up my sleeves and dealing with the issues that are at hand. It will totally be easier in the moment to avoid that, but it will not be easier in the long run. So have a vision in your heart and in your mind of what could be so that the pain of right now is more bearable for you because you have a, a hope or a vision of what's coming if uh, if you just you know continue on and endure but also you know just understand that this is um, this is one of the marriage is one of the great joys of life mm-hmm. and it's also you know can be one of the areas of life that's really difficult for people you know and for a lot of folks it's both yeah. you know at the same time and um, you know, there's just sin and we bring ourselves into all of this. So that's just, in a sense, the way that it's going to be. So just kind of embracing that. Thanks for joining us today in this conversation. If you're looking for some more content from Pastor Nate, please head over to nateholdridge.com. You can find a ton of podcasts there, articles that Nate is working on, and teachings that he gives at his home church, Calvary Monterey and online. 
Also, while you're online, please consider going to the iTunes store or whatever app you're using to listen to this podcast, and please leave a rating and review. That would help us out a ton. But until next time, God bless you. We'll see you soon.